honor to be here at King's People and to also uh, join with the people from Fire that have come out tonight. Um, I have deep affection in my heart for many people, faces that I recognize because uh, of what the Lord's been doing for the last 15 years. When I was uh, 16 years old, one Christmas day, I was with my family and we were having a little post-Christmas dinner prayer time. I don't know why we did it till this day, but my uncle was there. My uncle's this prophetic man, and we were just all having a nice Christmas. We wearing, in Britain, we wear these Christmas hats. Have you seen those things? Crowns. We have these things called crackers. We, po- we pop the crackers. And there are crowns in our hats. So we, uh, on our, as hats, and we were wearing these crowns. We were all having a nice Christmas. And we began to pray. My, my uncle uh, came up to me in the middle of the prayer and says, the Holy Spirit says to you, in not so many days from now, you'll be going across the Atlantic to a place of learning. And I will unite you with what I'm doing in the world. And I'll fulfill the desire of your heart. So, um, not long after, I was flying over the Atlantic to a place of learning, uh, where I met this man, who's very, still is very fresh-faced, I have to say that. But it was even more fresh-faced at the time. And God just deeply impacted my life in the Pensacola Revival. And then we had a, a missions trip, come over from the school, and uh, Bob and, and Gina and, uh, brought, and Greg brought a team over with uh, Brother Keith Collins, who many of you know. We just had a very supernatural time. The time later then, I believe Michael Vonovic came in 2000-ish. He stayed in our house. He's never been the same ever again. And... So did Aaron, right? Yeah, you stayed with us too. So yeah, God's just so good with these wonderful connections. So you'll get to know more about us over the weekend, and you can ask anything you want. There's no secrets. Um, let me just tell you a little bit about us before I get into the scriptures. Uh, my wife and I got married in the year 2000. When I came back from Pensacola, we got engaged. I couldn't get engaged in Pensacola because you weren't allowed to at the time, uh, which was a good deal, by the way. Um, we got back, we got engaged, we got married in the year 2000. And then, uh, in 2002, we were in this prayer meeting. This is the story of our marriage. And God was really calling us to start entering into leadership at the time. And uh, those of you that know me, you know my upbringing, I came from a, a group of churches. I was born into a group of churches which came out of the Welsh Revival. And many of the spiritual forefathers uh, handed down some wonderful truth regarding prophetic ministry. And I was deeply impacted from a very small age. Anyway, in the year 2002, one of these old 70-something-year-old dudes was in our prayer meeting, which is always something of a fearful thing when you have these genuine prophets of God. And he was just minding his own business. He was a quiet old man. And we were also honored to have this woman missionary who was also retired, about eight years old, She'd been over to Africa all her life. She was from this group of churches. So we were all having a little prayer time. And she breaks out into this wild tongue. She's a little dainty old woman. I'm like, oh my goodness, what's going on? She was laying hands on Helen and I. And she then interpreted the tongue. I'm going to keep you from the attack of the devil. I'm like, that's not a word I want to have. He comes over and says, the Spirit says to you, Satan is going to back you into a corner. 
many times. And only God will be able to get you out every single time. And he will. In not many days from now. So within a week, I began to sense something odd was going on. And my wife came home from work one night, one night, slightly unwell. The next morning, she woke up. She was disfigured for no apparent reason. She was completely disfigured. And she walked like this. So I thought, that's, that's a little strange. This went on for six months. No doctor, no medication could help her. She was completely um, disfigured. This went on for six months. She stopped getting paid from her employment. She's a nurse. We went to prayer as a couple, fasting. During that time, they did some scans. They found that her ovaries and her womb had become all messed up. And um, there was no real cause for it. They just didn't know what was going on. Things were just all over the place. So, by a, the third week of the fifth month, a friend of mine, who's, in, who's a spiritual father of mine, he came to our church. And he, he's a very quiet, mystical old man. His name's Peter. And he gently went up to Helen and said, you filthy evil spirit, get off Helen. And he just walked away all quietly. I was like, this is strange. Suddenly the atmosphere in our house cleared. Within one week, a brother uh, from another church, who's an also, an also, another spiritual father of mine, laid hands on Helen. She was healed supernaturally within five minutes. She walked, she screamed. The place went wild. She was jumping around like a, a mad woman. And those of you that know Helen, that's not her at all. The place went wild and people started queuing up for healing everywhere. That was the first occasion. A year later, we went to my sister's wedding in the Caribbean. And uh, on the third day of the, of the, the, the vacation, she uh, began being violently ill, lost consciousness, was uh, vomiting and everything else that goes with that, bleeding. And she went rushed into hospital. They found out that a tropical parasite had infected her system. Um, she lost a stone in three days, which is 14 pounds in American language, yeah. 14 pounds in three days. And then for seven years went down to what? 76? 77 pounds. She was just a, a skeleton. And uh, it was just most intense warfare we had ever experienced. So, we came to fire in 2005 in the midst of all of this. And Bob and one or two others, we hadn't mentioned anything to them. They, they said, this is something to do with having children. The enemy does not want you to have children. I had not told them, but when I was 18, another prophet of the Lord had promised me that I, if I served the Lord correctly, he would give me children who would be kingdom ambassadors in their own right. So Satan heard that word, and he held me to account on it and challenged it every step of the way. So we couldn't have kids for years. We just couldn't have them. So on year 7, 2009, it was like we tried everything, we prayed everything, we fasted, we'd done everything we could. My dad, who had planted this church in Wales, God suddenly said to him, it's time up. 
God began speaking to our church that it was time for a generation of a new generation of sons to take the church into a new place. So the transition happened. Within a month of the transition happening, some missionary friends from Africa were with us again. And in that meeting, the power of God touched my wife. Within three days, she conceived. And within three months, she was back up to normal, healthy weight again. It rebooted her entire immune system and her body. Uh, A year later, our church went into this epic struggle uh, against this foe that I can only describe as a giant face-to-face with our congregation in a way that not even in Pensacola I experienced warfare like this. And uh, all God told us to do was humble ourselves, face the thing, and keep proclaiming the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Within nine to ten months, God began to break up some of the the work of the enemy in our midst. A year later, we had... uh, we just had this explosion of prophecy and then the spirit fell on our church. For two years now, our valley has been under an open heaven. Um, Right now, our church are contending for new villages, new towns, new buildings, new families and this thing has been pushed right out. The reason I'm telling you all this is because there's there's just a train of this, this opposition. Right now, as we speak, there's a village at the very top of the valley that uh, is only a village of 500 people. God has sovereignly moved there. An entire household has been saved. They are now telling the entire village about Jesus. And they've started a house church. And they're now holding a public meeting just next week for the community hall, which is run down, to be given over to them. And a small group has risen up, a Buddhist and a local politician, to say they shall not have this hall. They haven't cared about it for 10 years. Suddenly they want to know who's in control of the hall. So I'm, I'm going to ask you to pray for us over this weekend regarding that, because this is a key thing for the valley. Anyway, my point is, I believe we're here because of all that. And I believe tonight and this weekend, God is going to sovereignly speak to us regarding promises he's made for this place and to this group of people. Do you believe it? So we're going to pray and ask him right now. Speak. To go beyond my strange accent and just speak deeply to our hearts. Lord, forever your word is settled in heaven. Your word is exalted along with your holy name. And we ask you tonight, Lord, we have, that we will have a deep understanding, not only of your presence, but of what you're saying in our midst. I pray in the name of Jesus that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened to know the hope of his calling. I pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you better. Jesus, I pray for this group of people. I pray tonight, 
a sense of your holy, weighty, anointed word would fall on our hearts in a way that we have never known. And it would steer the course of our lives forever. You would hold us dear to your word. Not just as it is written, but as it is spoken, Lord. Lord, we don't want just some scriptures being thrown out there tonight. We want you to speak to this group of people prophetically that launches them into their apostolic destiny as a group of people. Lord, Charlotte must come under the grip of God. And so, Father, I pray, give this people the spiritual DNA to accomplish the task. Give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know how to do it, to, to, how to perceive it. But also, I pray, give us the humility and the love so that we will always lay our lives down for the sake. Lord, I pray for this time right now. Speak through these human lips. Speak to these human hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's turn to Ephesians 1. I really love church planting situations. They're so raw. We're, we're constantly in one right now back home, so it's just, I just love it. You're doing a good job, by the way. It doesn't feel very raw. <clears throat> okay. I'm going to drop this down just a little more so I can raise my voice. Ephesians 1 verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace which He has freely given us in the one He loves. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of His glory. I want to talk tonight about King's people being for the praise of His glory. I'm going to talk a little bit about this phrase, the eternal purpose of God. I don't know what image it might conjure up in your mind, but the eternal purpose of God is one of the, it's, it's the great thing in all of the Bible. It's the very heart of God, what He is doing in ages past, in this present time, and in ages to come, is God's eternal purpose. God wants everything in heaven and on earth 
to be brought under the lordship of his son. That includes the city of Charlotte. Within the eternal purpose of God, there are three dimensions. You'll find this consistently throughout Scripture. First, you have the eternal purpose, that which God has ordained from the beginning right through uh, to eternity to come. Everything He wants to accomplish in bringing everything under the lordship of His Son, that's His eternal purpose. In that, He wants a king, which is His Son. Do you know the Father is selfless? He doesn't want to be the king Himself. He wants to give the kingship to His Son. But the Son is selfless also. He's going to hand everything back to God the Father. So God is accomplishing something. It's all going to be summed up in the Son. And under the lordship of this Son is going to be a city. For this reason, Abraham left his country, his family, and pursued a city whose builder and maker was God. So his Son is the king of a city. And within the city are people. King David is given this promise. To you I will give a throne which will be everlasting. It shall be established forever. And then he said, I will also give you a house, a dynasty of sons. So God's purpose in Jesus is to form a city. It starts out in Genesis as a garden. And it ends at the end of Revelation as this epic city where the king dwells under the, um, under the lordship of his father, and the people dwell under the lordship of the great king, and they are a house. They are the house of Jesus. He's a son over the house, Hebrews 3. And within this city, righteousness dwells, and light dwells, and all the immoral stuff is kept outside. God's purpose from ages past to ages to come is to bring this into reality. And the cross is the very epicenter of how that whole thing comes about. So everything God's doing in the Old Testament, getting a hold of Adam and Eve, dealing with that whole situation, that's the thing Satan is trying to thwart, is this union between God as Lord and, and um, Adam and Eve as underlords, ruling and reigning on the earth in this, in this perfect sense of dwelling, the city. It's a garden city in the beginning, and it's a city city in the end with a tree in the middle of it. Are you with me on that? So this is what God's up to. This is very deep stuff, I know. It'll become very practical in just a moment. So God, from the beginning, He chooses men like Abraham. And Abraham leaves everything he has in this world because he has his eyes on something from another world that's not just staying in that other world, it's coming down into the earth. Okay, so Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And then God's whole calling of this special people, Israel, to be a symbol and a, and, a, and a shadow and a type of the ultimate, which is to come. So then we move through. Jesus comes, he lays down his life. And he, and he says before Pontius Pilate, he says, from now on, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God and then coming in the clouds of heaven. I know this church is very big on the now and the not yet. That's a great now and not yet scripture. From now on, you will see the Son of Man singing in God's right hand and coming in the clouds of heaven. That scripture is relating to Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel sees this vision of a Son of Man in the clouds of heaven approaching the Ancient of Days. There is a horn who is opposing and blaspheming not only God but His people 
And God makes a righteous judgment in favor of this man on behalf of the people. And he says, I'm going to give this son of man the kingdom. And he says he, re- uh, he receives the kingdom. And it says a little further down, the saints of God shall receive the kingdom and possess it forever. This is deep stuff. This is big stuff. The word receive means a gift that is being presently bestowed. So just, just consider this for a moment. Okay? Just to back up a little. God's got this big purpose. It's all to bring everything in heaven and earth under the lordship of his son. It's a city. It's made up of redeemed humanity. Jew and Gentile as one new man. Christ is king of it. And then, in that process from the cross, Jesus sits down at the throne of the Father and according to Daniel 7, the people begin receiving a kingdom. That present continuous. It's talking about, even as Bob is sitting here right now, there is an office being bestowed, even as he sits in the presence of God right now. Isn't that awesome? There's an office of kingdom being bestowed, just like we're worshipping right now. That's the now of the kingdom. It's being bestowed. But it does not convey we have full possession of it yet. So that's why in that Daniel scripture it says, the saints of God shall receive the kingdom. We are receiving a kingdom, Hebrews 12, which cannot be shaken. It's happening right now in the city of Charlotte as we worship. But we will ultimately possess this kingdom forever. So what's God up to? He is bringing into formation this great kingdom, the epicenter of which is a city, and the epicenter of which is a people, and the epicenter of which is King Jesus. Are you all with me? This is something of God's eternal purpose. Wow. This is a lot to chew on. So, Paul is saying in Ephesians, in this scripture, 1 Ephesians 11, we are predestined according to the plan of him who works everything out in conformity with the purpose of his will. So as I said to my church months ago, back home, every single person you come into contact with for the kingdom's sake, God is working everything out towards this ultimate great big purpose. That city, his son is lord over and is building right now. Everything we do right now in the spirit is being worked out to conform with the purpose of his will. Is that a big deal? You better believe it is. Every work of evangelism this church does, every outreach, every ministry, every church plant, every kingdom connection is God working something out in conformity to the purpose of his will. This great big plan he has that is being summed up under one head with one people under the lordship of Christ. Everything we're doing down here right now is building towards that day. Campbell Morgan, one of my favorites, says, we will find out at the end of the age, when we inherit the fullness of the city of God, we were building it right now. Is this big enough for you? I can't get bigger than this. It's going to crush me. So Paul says, everything. I'm an apostle. I've seen a little glimpse of this glorious vision. It's gripped me. I've seen something of the heavenly city. 
There's a king who dwells there. From now on, Jesus says, I'm going to sit there. And then at the end, I'll come back in the clouds of heaven to finish the whole thing off. Daniel says, there's a son of man. And the saints of God will receive it. It's being received right now over Mike and his wife. A kingdom priesthood office. Just as we're sitting here right now. I love this kind of stuff. But it's not fully possessed yet. That keeps us on our toes. So that's the eternal purpose of God, or something of it. It's my little insight into it. It's much bigger than that. So Paul says everything, everything is being worked out towards that. You are not in King's people for no reason. It's to do with that. Okay? That's the first thing. The second dimension of God's eternal purpose is what I call generational purpose. So you've got God's eternal purpose, that which he's doing from ages past to ages to come, and even in the present. He works out through generations at a time. King David served his generation, and then he died. He served God's purpose for his generation, and then he died. So we have God's eternal purpose. That's like the big umbrella, and then under that is like another layer, God's generational purpose. So what is God's generational purpose? I would suggest to you, it's what God does with the generation of people alive on the earth at a given time. Okay? So you've got King David, who's mentioned in the book of Acts. He served God's purpose for his generation, and then he dies. So he and his people are fulfilling their generational part in the overriding purpose of God. Are you all with me on this? It's going somewhere, okay? So the big plan of God, this apostolic thing God is doing, he's building a city... His son is going to be Lord of it. His people will rule and reign with him. He's forming it all by the Holy Spirit. God, in time now, in moments of history, he touches generations to do a particular thing that is like a key building block towards that city building program. So how many of you were alive during the Brownsville Revival? It's good. I hope you were alive during that one. (laughs) That was a generational work of God across the earth, actually. And God was saying something. There's an old man that once said these words, little Scottish Hebridean mystic. Uh, remember Hugh Black? Yeah, mystic group from Hebrides. He said, Sir, it is not enough to know just that God is present, but it is better to know why it is he came. So I'm like, what do you say to this guy? I was like melted when I heard this. It's not just enough to have revival meetings. I went through the Pensacola revival. I'm speaking like this, okay? It is better to know why it is God poured himself out in that time. So my heart, in the last 10 years, God's been breaking things up and also adding and mending things back. God, why did you visit in that period of time? Was it just to come and do a little bit of, you know, hokey pokey, dance around in the glory for a little while? I love the glory. I get very excited when the glory comes. It was because God not only came to reveal himself, he came to speak about something. So when God shows up to a generation, alive at a time, he's not only doing something, he's saying something. So you can trace this all the way back to people like uh, Martin Luther. Why did God come upon Martin Luther in that generation at the time? 
because he was adding a key building block to the city of God. The just shall live by faith. And Proverbs says, do not uh, remove the ancient boundary marks. They're in there. Bang! And if any man touches them, they're in big trouble. Because God put them there. And then you move on to the, the great awakenings of the 1700s. You've got Wesley and Whitfield and all the others among them at that time. God was revealing sanctification and holiness and being born again and all these wonderful things. God is putting into place another piece in his generational purpose. He's visiting a generation alive at a given time and touching the hearts of men alive at a time with truth, restoration of truth to build this city to fulfill this great big eternal purpose he's up to. And then in the 1800s you have great men like Spurgeon and Finney God speaking to another generation. He said, I want my city built. So he comes upon these men in America and England. He sends missionaries all over to China and the Far East. And in the 1900s, you have Welsh revival, Azusa Street. I'm speaking about these ones because they're relevant to the both of us. And then all the other, the healing revivals, the latter rain revivals. And don't worry about the controversy with that. We can talk about that another time. And then the charismatic renewal and the restoration renewal and then the Toronto renewal and the Pentecost renewal. All along, God is visiting generation upon generation and he's building something. Now, in the midst of that, there's a lot of devil activity as well, trying to confuse the people of God. Get taken up with manifestations. Get taken up with the weirdness of it all. All along, God's standing in the midst of a holy fire and he's saying, I'm speaking to my church. And when all the paraphernalia dies down, there's a key building block. And Zion is being built. Is this cool? It's very cool. Because we're in it. So we come to Pensacola. God says, I'm coming with my holy fire. Revival fire. Do you think that's the end? That's it. I'm holy. You better get with it. And I'll disappear. Now I want you to know, God's setting us up. Do you think God's just going to do a little bit of reviving, a little bit of purifying, just leave us on our merry way? I want you to know that every generational move of God is a covenant. God is the God of Abraham. He's the God of Isaac. He's the God of Jacob. And when he makes a generational purpose known. The Bible says he's going to make it known to another generation, to another generation. And every truth he reveals in every revival is a covenant for the next generation and a covenant to the existing generation. God has an eternal purpose. Under it, he brings that about by visiting generations with covenantal truth, revelation of truth upon revelation of truth. Here we are, just on this precipice. We can speak in tongues. We've seen a few healings. We've had revival fire burning in us. What do we have left? Is that it? Paul says in Ephesians 3, this is the third part of the eternal purpose of God. Me has been made known and given 
revelation and ministration. The third part of God's purpose is what I call apostolic vision. God is building a city to bring it under one head. He's then visiting generation after generation with truth to build that city. But within those generations, God gets very specific. He doesn't just say, go on, generation, all of you experience a laughing revival or a holiness revival. No, he comes upon individuals. He comes upon individuals. And he does it according to his will. I don't understand it. I'm not a Calvinist or an Arminian. I'm just trying to work out Jesus. But he just does it. <laughs> Me and Keith Collins were having this discussion. They were laughing. wonder which one Jesus is. No, he's just Jesus. You're saying this on Thursday, right? In the class. Jesus is Jesus. So, God's eternal purpose, God's generational purpose, everything is being worked out to this conformity to this will. Everything, Paul says. Everything. You better believe it's everything. God's working everything. Every visitation, every connection, every relationship, Every work for the gospel, everything is working towards the city of God. The people in Charlotte right now, this king's people is working towards the city of God. And God comes upon a people and individuals and he causes them to see the city and he causes them to see what God's doing in a given generation, at a given time. And they say, you know what? We're going to work this out on the ground. Right here, right now. We want to see Charlotte connect to that eternal purpose. Does that mean everyone in Charlotte will? Probably not. But our goal is to leave this present age and to pursue a city whose builder and maker are God. Our goal is to see that eternal purpose come to pass. I understand that it won't be complete until Jesus comes. I understand that. But our goal, like Abraham, is to go after it anyway. You think Abraham said, I'm going to wait until everything's happened? No, he said, I'm leaving it all now because I want to see it now. And I understand we're not going to see it all until Jesus returns. I understand that. But Paul says, right now, administration has been given to me to bring that big thing to pass on this planet Earth, right here in this locality. So God wants to say to this church tonight, God is going to give you apostolic administration. I believe he already has. And it's connected to what he's doing for a generation of people at a given time. And it's bigger than that. It's connected to his glorious plan from ages past to ages to come. So my challenge to you tonight is, if I make an altar call, and said, who wants to be part of God's eternal purpose? Everyone's going to come flooding forward and go, yes, I want that. If I said, who wants to be part of God's generational purpose for today, what he's doing in the earth today, you'd all go, yeah, I want to be part of that. You know where the real cost comes? We have to give ourselves something that's local. Something that's very practical and earth. Because it doesn't look like the city of God yet. 
you ever noticed that your brother or sister to the left or right of you doesn't quite look like those that rule and reign in the age to come? Have you noticed that yet? may not be handsome enough yet or something. I want you to know that right now we are seated with him in heavenly places already. Now, I'm still imperfect. I'm not as the angels. One day that will be. But it begins now. This is what Paul's saying. Everything is being worked out in conformity to the purpose of his will. The purpose of his will to bring city into the earth under one head, King Jesus, with one people ruling and reigning the nations. This is what it's going to take. It's going to take you rallying around this man. He doesn't know I'd come to say this, by the way. He didn't ring me and say, could you arrange this message? Do you believe God still brings apostolic vision into the world to get us into that, that purpose of God? So what the Holy Spirit has asked me to ask you tonight is those of you King's people particularly, are you willing to lay your lives down for this thing? Not for a man, but for what God is speaking to this administration. I don't mean a denomination. I don't mean administration like office work. I mean for this vision. Because God's eternal purpose, God's generational purpose, Paul says, it's got to be worked out through apostolic administration. And as we lay our lives down consistently with longevity, we will see the city of God begin to fall on us. It's that big. Let me just tell you a little story and then we'll kind of start praying. 22 years ago, I was 13 years old. And we had some some brothers over from a church in Oregon. We, we had strong connections with that church for many years. And uh, we were a church of 20 people. And we met in a little hut. It was cold. It was damp. It was in 1991. No one knew about us. Everything was awkward. It was raw. Andrew Griffiths, our worship leader, was 18 years old still learning the ropes. These men, they were late for our meeting. Didn't get off to a good start. They were stuck in traffic. And uh, they turned up about half an hour late into the worship. We'd never met them before. We knew the guy that brought them because he was one of the pastors at the church. And so they, we began to just worship for about an hour. And in Wales, when, when people worship, they sing really loud. And in the middle of it, they begin to just minister to people in this little congregation. And uh, they make a promise to the congregation. If we will see it out with longevity, they, they even called young Andrew Griffiths up and said, if you will give your life for decades to come, and I'll explain who this guy Andrew Griffiths is in just a moment, you will see the glory of God. Andrew is a, one of the top record producers in the UK. He's been invited to London, Los Angeles, New York, you name it, to go and take his work there. He could be a multi-millionaire quite easily. He's probably produced many soundtracks, many Christian films made in Hollywood that you've probably heard but don't know he's done it. He's a 
God spoke to him in that meeting when he was 18. That he was to lay his life down for a vision that was so pitiful at the time. He was going to have great glory at the end of it. He has been with us now unpaid. Everyone repeat that word, unpaid. Come on, you can talk. Americans can talk. Unpaid. 22 years. And only now is he seeing the glory of God. Everything God promised him when he was 18, 21 years ago, 22 years ago, he's seeing in the last two years. Everything. Because he laid his life down for an apostolic vision, which was so pitiful at the time, and yet there was great destiny in it. Because he believed he wasn't just serving a man's vision, he was serving the eternal purpose of God for his generation. So I want to humbly say to you guys, dear saints, as our cats would say, King's people, do you want to be for the praise of his glory? This is what it means to be apostolic. It is to lay your life down for an apostolic vision and build towards a city. And it's going to mean your lives. Your careers. It may not be that God is asking you to finish your career. It may mean that you need to seek a career serves his purpose. It's a great challenge. I know it may cut to the very heart of our culture. I understand that. And I would not be saying anything to you that I myself am not willing to do. But this is what it's going to take to see the city of God brought into the world. Everything in conformity to his eternal purpose. in doing so, God will fulfill his covenant with us good old Brownsville people. His word won't return to him void, Bob. The rain pours down into the earth, Isaiah 55, and will produce a harvest. We're going to have another Brownsville? No. The rain that fell is a generational purpose. It's going to go on to the next generation. It's going to produce something fresh. I believe in the earth right now, God wants the church to take cities. That's what I believe is the heart of the great king. Does it mean every city will fall? Probably not. But that's not the point. Don't, don't worry about the negative. Abraham left everything for a city whose builder and maker was God. He was consumed by the city of God. Don't worry about those that say no. Jesus said if they say no, just shake the dust off your feet but the place that receives you, you stay there. In other words, the city of God is coming down in that place. That's the eternal purpose. So, I just want to put this challenge out. I don't feel like I'm to go any further right now. Tomorrow I'm going to talk more about what God's doing generationally in this world today and how it's going to apply to you, I believe. You can take it and use it as you want. I'm not the, the final voice on this. I submit everything I'm saying to the local leadership here. So, 
I know this is a great challenge and it's more than just coming out and saying, yeah, I'll do it, Lord, and then tomorrow it's a different matter. God is up to something great. His Son is going to be exalted as King of Israel and the nations. He's building a city. Everything on earth, everything on heaven is going to become under this one King. We will rule and reign with Him. He's visiting in revival generation upon generation and bringing truth in that building process. We don't remove those things, but we build upon them. But we must ask the question, why did he visit? It's to do with this. The third layer of God's eternal purpose is he wants an apostolic vision to be pushed out into the nations of the world. City taking, possessing lands. But it's going to cost you lives. So really my message started out deep, but it ends very simple. Who will give their lives? I don't mean this just in a general, I consecrate my life, Lord. I mean, who will give their lives? I'm not asking you right now to sign up a membership form for King's People or anything like that. Bob has not spoken to me. I'm saying it means a consecration of your heart where you realize the place where God plants you and asks you to lay down your life. You're saying, Lord, where it's 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years, I'm going to give myself to that thing because I realize if I give myself to that thing, your generational purpose will be accomplished and then your eternal purpose will be accomplished. And I'll stand there on that day and say, yes, Lord, I ran the race, I'll lay down my life. Or are you going to run to the next revival? So, Lord, you love this, dear people. Lord, you've touched the West so many times with your great power, and you're going to touch it again. You've touched Wales, you've touched England, you've touched America countless hundreds of times. And, Lord, here we are in a sports hall, singing, worshipping, coming under the sound of your word. God, sometimes we cry out, what is this all about? God, we have to say, if you're not fulfilling a great purpose in the earth, then just take us out of here. But God, we know you are. And we say tonight, we affirm it, we say amen to your eternal purpose. Lord, let the cry come up from our hearts and say amen to the Lamb of God who was slain for the sins of the world and is king of his city Zion. We say amen to his eternal purpose. We say amen to the will of the Father and of the Holy Spirit. We say amen to what you're doing in the world at this moment in time. You're moving in places and regions and nations that we know nothing about and yet you're working everything, everything, Lord, into conformity. Of your eternal purpose. And Lord, here we are, Lord, in local churches, planting local churches. Sometimes the task can be so difficult. But God, you're touching individuals. You're revealing your kingdom. You're revealing your purpose. And you give us a heart for the city. And God, I pray right now, let this people, find a people in this place who have a heart for the city, who want to take the city and lay down their lives for the city. 
I pray Charlotte would be kissed with the city of God. And I pray you'd use this people to bring that to pass. In Jesus' name. Lord, I I just want to say, Lord, over this people, it's not just about submitting to a man. Lord, all the, 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 sometimes the, the Christianized language we come up with, Lord, this is about aligning ourselves with your eternal purpose. And in that midst, you're using men and women to accomplish it. And you're asking us to, to bear one another's burdens, to, to raise our hands in faith and to, and to go with one another and lay down our lives for each other. Even as Jonathan said of David, my sword is your sword. Find the people in this place that will give themselves to the leadership of this house. Say, we will build, we will war, even if it means 10, 15, 20, 30 years of our lives, we will give ourselves to this apostolic vision. God, this is what you're looking for. And Lord, I pray, remove from us every cultural thing that is so adverse to this. Every human thing that is so adverse to this. God, I pray. Let us have faith like Abraham to leave all for a city whose builder and maker of God. And let us have faith to know we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your great purpose. And we love you, Heavenly Father. Amen.